Hey, my name's Jamie Poisson, and I'm the host of Frontburner. It's the CBC's daily news podcast. And every day we're discussing the big events and fault lines shaping Canada and the world. Politics, economics, social movements, you name it. Sometimes we even talk about really fun stuff like the enduring relevance of Lord of the Rings. You can hear Frontburner on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. Hi, I'm Dr. Brian Goldman. Welcome to The Dose. The sixth wave of COVID-19 has sneaked up on many of us, which means more hospitalizations and more ICU admissions. What's different this time is that we have a new medication called Paxlovid that can keep at-risk people out of hospital. That is, if they can get it. So this week we're asking, what do I need to know about Paxlovid? Hi, Kelly. Welcome back to The Dose. Thanks for having me. You're a pharmacist. What's been the biggest challenge getting Paxlovid into the hands of patients who need it most? Well, the people who are going to benefit most are often really far from care. And so geography has been one of the biggest barriers is getting it into communities and locations who are far from the big cities, for example. You know, having someone there who's who's skilled and able to identify people quickly enough and then also get the, the product to them. So that's probably been one of the biggest challenges in the last couple of months. And I bet that uh, another challenge is just getting people to be informed about what Paxlovid is all about, which is the topic that we're going to be talking about. So before we begin, can you give us a hi, my name is, tell us what you do and where you do it, just ad lib. Yeah, my name's Kelly Grindrod. I'm an associate professor of pharmacy at the University of Waterloo. I've been a pharmacist for many years now, and I've been working a lot on COVID vaccinations and now starting to work on COVID treatments as well. So Kelly, let's begin with the basics. What is Paxlovid? So Paxlovid is an antiviral. So it's got two drugs in it. One drug stops the virus from replicating in your body. So we give it to you when COVID is still mild before it's become severe. There's another ingredient in it called ritonavir, which is known as a boosting agent. And it helps us get higher levels, longer lasting levels of the active antiviral ingredient, nermotrelvir, in the body. So it's two drugs together. This is pretty common. Uh, and it's giving you a, a good, robust antiviral effect for people who are at highest risk. And a lot of the early treatments for, for COVID were intravenous. This one's different, isn't it? Yes, this is our first oral one. So this is one that people can be given at home, which means you, people can pick it up and take it at home or it can be shipped to them at their home as well. So this is a big shift in the use of antivirals in COVID. So who should be taking Paxlovid? Now, that's the catch. So when you hear antiviral, you think, well, that's great. All of us can get it. Maybe we'll get better faster. But it's not really like that. The evidence really shows that this medication, so Paxlovid specifically, is most useful in people who are at high risk of being hospitalized from COVID. And actually, the study that this was approved on was specifically in people who were unvaccinated, so not yet having any dose of a vaccine, plus they had at least one health condition that increased their risk of needing hospital care. So they're typically older, had serious health conditions, and had not had any vaccination doses. That's where we got a really good effect at preventing hospitalization and death from severe COVID. We're still waiting for the results on the trials that are standard risk, which are people who are not yet vaccinated, but otherwise healthy. And we don't really have any evidence on people who are fully vaccinated and at lower risk. What side effects are there for Paxlovid? 
So when we talk with the sites that have been giving out most of the Paxlova to date, they're saying that the main thing people complain of is a funny taste in their mouth. It's often described as an unpleasant metallic taste in their mouth. That seems to be pretty common for most people who have Paxlova. So, you know, as long as people know about it ahead of time, they seem to be pretty okay with it. Diarrhea also can be quite common with this. There are some other side effects as well, but those are the two main ones that people seem to be experiencing the most. And this uh, drug Paxlovid seems to have a lot of interactions with other commonly prescribed medications. Yeah, that's the big catch with this medication. Because like I said earlier, there's two ingredients in there. There's the main one, the antiviral, and then there's this other one called ritonavir. It's been around for a long time. We use it as a boosting agent specifically because of its drug interaction. It's able to get a higher level of the antiviral in the body. So that also means that it can do that with a lot of the other medications that people take. So it can interact with certain blood pressure medicines, cholesterol pills, antipsychotics, um, opioids. It interacts with fentanyl, for example, cardiac meds, blood thinners. There's a whole bunch of them. So there's a huge list of interactions. And what we often have to balance with people is what's the benefit you're going to get with this and what's your potential for drug interactions. So for people who take a lot of medications, maybe people who have had a transplant and they take immunosuppressants or they're going through cancer therapy, they may potentially get some good benefit from this drug, but we have to make sure that we, for the week they're on it, we adjust their therapy. Same thing with, again, those blood pressure pills, cholesterol, et cetera. So there are some tricks to using it. It's not easy. It's not a panacea. It's not going to solve everything, but it is a tool that we now have that we can use. So is the main concern that with interactions with other medications, the Paxlovid would be rendered ineffective? Or, or is it that the other medications would be, you know, cause toxic effects uh, because of the presence of the Paxlovid? Which is it? It's both. So there's certain medications, uh, certain seizure medications, for example, that increase your body's ability to uh, metabolize drugs or break drugs down. And those would make Paxlovid less effective. And then you might get drug resistance. We know about drug resistance with antibiotics, so it's a concern with this as well. What we're more concerned about, though, are the the drug interactions where the metabolism is slowed down and you get even higher levels of, it's not even the Paxlovid, it's the other medicines that you take. So higher levels of your blood pressure pill, higher levels of your cholesterol pill, higher levels of a pain reliever. So those are the ones that we're watching, the ones that could, the interactions that could be dangerous. So we have ways of managing this. For example, you take Paxlovid for five days. For some of these other medicines, what we recommend is for the the week, roughly, that you're on this, so the five days you're on Paxlovid plus two extra days afterwards, you might half the dose of one of your medications or you might hold that medication for the week. So there's a lot of work that goes into getting people to a place where we not only adjust their medicines, but they understand what's being done. They can do it correctly. And then following up a week later to make sure they've restarted everything the way it was before they tried Paxlovid. Now, Kelly, you know, a lot of the regular listeners to the dose are very sophisticated. So they're really up on uh, new medications like Paxlovid. But I'm aiming this question at everybody else uh, who may have some general assumptions about new prescription drugs without knowing about Paxlovid. I think a lot of us would tend to assume that the drug is is reserved for people who have a bad case of COVID already. And I want to underscore this by saying, why is that not the case uh, when it comes to Paxlovid, that you don't want to be treating people who already have bad COVID, bad COVID symptoms? 
That's right. So the most important thing to know about Paxlovid, and actually another drug that we use called Remdesivir, which is an IV infusion that's given in outpatient hospital or in infusion clinics. So both Remdesivir and Paxlovid can be given when COVID is still mild or, or need to be given when COVID is still mild and before the virus has replicated in the body and caused all the inflammation and complications that are what we call severe COVID. So you're really trying to get treatment early on, well before you get severe COVID. So you have a window. And with Paxlovid specifically, you need to start it within five days of testing positive or symptoms starting. And people need to be symptomatic. So as soon as they have, you know, that stuffy nose, that sore throat, mild cough, whatever the symptom is, if you're someone who's at risk of severe COVID, so you're not yet vaccinated, you have a weakened immune system, uh, maybe you're older and have multiple serious health conditions. You know, if you're in these groups that we really worry that you'll need hospital care if you get COVID, as soon as you have that first symptom, you need to get a test. And if it's positive, this needs to be started as soon as possible. The earlier we start it, the better. Can you get more specific about the timing? I think people listening to this need to know when is the right time to take Paxlovid and when is it too late? Yep. So it's five days from when symptoms start developing. So in the best case scenario, as soon as you get those those symptoms of COVID, day one, day two, when symptoms are still mild, you can't be sick enough to need hospital care. This is just, you know, um, it can be a mild cold symptoms. If you have a positive test, we want to start this as soon as possible. The latest we can start Paxlovid is five days from when those symptoms started. So you really have a short window. And that's been one of the biggest challenges in getting Paxlovid out to people is getting it tested quickly and within five days of symptoms starting. So people have mild symptoms and they kind of wait with them for a bit. And it's not until they start getting worse that they think to go out and get a test. And often it's too late for us to give early treatment at that point. How long is a course of treatment with Paxlovid? So Paxlovid is taken for five days. And like I said, with the drug interactions, you take it twice a day. You take three tablets in the morning, three tablets at night. You take it with or without food and you take it for five days. The drug will stay in your body a little bit on day six and seven after you're done taking it. So that's why when we're managing things like drug interactions, we manage the interaction for a week. But the the medication that you're taking, you're actually only taking for five days and you take it at home. And Paxlovid doesn't just delay the need for hospitalization, it actually prevents it? What do we know from the research? That's right. So the goal isn't delaying the need for hospitalization. The goal is preventing the development of severe COVID. And severe COVID is being sick enough to need hospital care because you need supplementary oxygen or to be ventilated, etc. So the whole goal of giving this treatment is that when you have mild COVID, just mild cold symptoms early on, you give this, the virus stops replicating in the body, your body can get rid of the virus before you ever get any of those inflammatory responses that lead to that really bad COVID. So it's not delaying anything. It's actually preventing the need for hospital care. And, you know, certainly some of the early reports suggested that it reduced hospitalizations by 90%. Is that still thought to be the case? That's correct. There's one study that's been published on this. It was published in the New England Journal of Medicine a little while back, and it showed that it was 88 to 89% 
effective at preventing hospitalization and death from COVID, depending on if it was started at day three or, or day five. So of course, starting it a little bit earlier is going to be slightly more effective because you're stopping that viral replication earlier, you know, well ahead of that inflammation. Within those first five days, though, if it's used, it's almost 90% effective at preventing hospitalization or death from COVID. This is published. This is all based on published data that predated Omicron. Do we know how effective Paxlovid is against Omicron and subvariants like BA2? And that's the big question with all of these treatments. So we were using monoclonal antibodies, for example, and they're not very effective with the Omicron BA2. So there's a lot of concern that as the virus keeps evolving, we are going to get resistance to these treatments and they're going to stop working. So we believe that it's working quite well right now. Paxlovid specifically is working quite well right now now. We don't have good evidence yet with this variant. And we're always going to be doing this with the pandemic. Every time new variants emerge, we're always going to be playing catch up to know how effective our current treatments are. And usually that information comes, you know, as we're well into a wave or after a wave, we can look back on it and say, okay, in hindsight, this is what we know about that variant and that treatment. So we we believe, again, that this will be fairly effective for those high-risk people, you know, unvaccinated, serious risk factors for being hospitalized, hopefully still effective with the Omicron variant, but information will continue to emerge in the coming weeks and months. So a patient diagnosed who has symptoms of COVID, early symptoms, takes Paxlovid, and doesn't need to be admitted to hospital. What happens to them at home? Well, they would take the medication twice a day. Uh, They would take it for five days, and hopefully by the time they're done, they're well on their way to feeling a lot better. And actually, one thing we're hearing from some of the places that are doing Paxlovid right now is that people are coming in and they're already getting better on their own. And that might be a reason where they say, well, hey, you're already getting better on your own. You probably don't need this treatment. The whole goal is to get people feeling better. So by the time you're done a five course, if you're at high risk for for ending up hospitalized and you have mild symptoms, you take the medication for five days. Hopefully by the time you're done that fifth day, you're feeling a lot better. You're not getting worse. You know, it's not a necessarily a one and done. You know, there, there's really a focus on keeping people out of hospital. And the goal with Paxlovid is preventing people from being sick enough in the first place to need hospital care. Queer life in Montreal was wild. Montreal in the 90s was a great time, but it had a dark side. It was not a safe city for gay people back then. But what else was behind a series of deaths in the city? Somebody's killing gay men, we want to know why. I'm Francis Pourde, and this is The Village, The Montreal Murders. Get early access to episodes at cbc.ca slash listen or by subscribing to the CBC True Crime Premium channel on Apple Podcasts. Until now, we've been talking about the ins and outs of what we know about the drug itself. Then there's the system. How difficult has it been for people who should be taking Paxlova to actually get their hands on it? Been very difficult. So early on, we have access issues. So in Canada, we've had this all along. Early on with vaccinations, we had a very small number and we had to build these systems very specially to reach the right people. The same thing was done with Paxlovid. So because of the drug interactions and early on the limited supply, it was restricted to a few sites and many of the provinces across Canada. So it might be tightly controlled and only dispensed out of a hospital or a specialty program. 
Increasingly, what we're seeing, though, in the last couple of weeks has been Paxlovid moving into pharmacies. And there's a few different models across the country, but some of them are that a physician prescribes it or a nurse practitioner prescribes it. So it might be your primary care provider, your family doctor, for example, and then that the person can take or can have the prescription sent to the pharmacy. The pharmacy would assess things like the drug interactions, et cetera, and then could deliver the medication to the person's home because they're COVID positive. So they're isolating, right? So that's a new system. In Quebec, what we're seeing is a test and treat where patients, when they get a positive test, the pharmacist can assess them and prescribe it and dispense it. Again, often sending it or delivering it to the patient's home. So the whole goal behind that is to increase access. Now, if you're in a large urban center, a big city, it might be relatively easy for you to access those COVID programs, like the COVID testing sites that can prescribe this for you. Often they're attached to a big hospital. But if you're in a more rural or remote location, it's been really, really hard to get Paxlovid out to these locations. And that's exactly where we need it. These are people who tend to be far from hospital. If they do get sick enough to need hospital care, it takes a lot of time and it's difficult to get them to hospital for the level of care that they need. So that's exactly where we want Paxlovid. So that's where this new model is evolving to have it actually be able to be dispensed out of pharmacies that are much closer to the patient's homes, local family doctors prescribing it. There's a learning curve because it is a bit complicated with the drug interactions like I've managed. So there's a lot of training going on too. So access is getting a lot better. Up until now, it's been very limited. People haven't known to ask about this. So they've been you know, sitting at home with mild symptoms, maybe tested positive on a rapid test and haven't called anybody. So no one knew. So we couldn't start Paxlovid as people are becoming more aware. And it's now moving into communities in the different pharmacies or different provinces through pharmacies. We're seeing access improve quite a bit. Uh, and to be clear, people need a prescription for Paxlovid. If they're going to receive it, Somebody has to prescribe it, whether that's a physician, you know, family doctor, specialist, maybe a nurse practitioner or a pharmacist. That's right. This is a prescription medication. And there might be a bit of blood work that needs to be done too, depending on the last time you had blood work. So they need to check your kidney function to make sure that it's dosed appropriately for you as well. So sometimes that's been a bit of a, a bump at the beginning. Someone can go to an assessment site. Maybe they haven't had their blood work done in quite some time. So a quick blood test is done and then the medication is given. The reason why we really wanted to talk about Paxlovid on the dose is is the the data that that we have seen in the last few days. There was an article, for instance, by Carly Weeks in the Globe and Mail that showed that only a tiny percentage of the people who could benefit from Paxlovid are actually receiving it right across the country. Why is that the case? Yeah, we this is a big concern. And we've seen this somewhat through the pandemic where we're often balancing things like scarcity um, with complex um, eligibility criteria, not only you know, like who can access it, but who should access it, who's going to benefit. This is not a drug that benefits every person who takes it. This really benefits a small number of people. For example, if it's someone who's unvaccinated, they may not be well connected with their family doctor talking about this, and they might not be aware of this. So there's a lot of challenges with people being aware, but also the complexity of these systems. When you have to go through multiple steps to access something, when there's multiple criteria you have to meet, when you have to have um, you belong to a very specific community or something like that, 
a lot of that breaks down our ability to broadly educate people and invite them in. So we are seeing, for example, in in some provinces, they're making the uh, eligibility criteria more general, more inclusive. And, you know, that doesn't necessarily align with the research on this drug, which says, again, you have to be very high risk of needing hospital care to benefit. But it does align sometimes with access where what you want is for people to say, I don't know if I'll benefit, I'm going to ask. And there's going to be people who say, I'd like this, and they wouldn't benefit. And that's a difficult conversation. But you're hoping you're going to get an awful lot more who said, I had no idea this was an option. And the people we're most worried about are people in communities that have low vaccine uptake, which are often linked with language barriers. So, you know, these are are people who may not be listening to our radio, may not be listening to television. In research we've done, we know that a lot of their news comes from maybe the country that they're from that's in the language that they're familiar with. So if this isn't on the news in their home country, they may not be aware that it's an option here, for example. Um, also, we're getting into issues around, you know, education level, um, beliefs about COVID. You know, it's it's really a struggle. So one of the biggest questions we need to ask right now is, who is ending up in hospital right now? Would they have been eligible for Paxlovid? And why didn't they get it? Did they not know? Did they Were they offered it and refused? And we need to educate people on this. You know, there's a lot of really, really important questions. And it's that complexity in some of the research that we've done, when things get more complicated, it makes it really, really, really hard on the ground for community outreach workers, community leaders, peer support workers, you know, the translation of materials, it all falls apart. So the complexity can look like it's supporting fairness and access, but actually what it can do is unintentionally hurt access, unintentionally limit access. So this is just an ongoing struggle we've experienced with the pandemic. And I think we're learning with each one of these interventions how to do it a little bit better. Last question I want to ask you, we've been talking about Paxlovid, but are there any other antivirals that are coming in the pipeline that could benefit people uh, in the early stages of COVID or otherwise? Yeah, there's a couple that we might expect to see in in the coming months that might be a little bit simpler than this. I think that we're in the the antiviral stage of the pandemic, so we're going to continue to see research on this. So, for example, when we look at HIV medications, early on there was a very small number. Now there's quite a large number of antivirals that are used there. Same with this. I suspect because COVID is impacting so much of the world There's a lot of potential research here. I think we're going to continue to see over the next year a handful of new antivirals emerge, and we might keep seeing that in the coming years as well. Other questions that they're going to look at is, are these helpful for long COVID? Are these helpful in people who are at lower risk? Right now, what we know is we have Paxlovid, which is most helpful for people at highest risk of needing hospital care if they are to get COVID. Kelly Grindrod, thank you so much for speaking with us. Thank you so much. That's Kelly Grindrod, a pharmacist and associate professor at the School of Pharmacy at the University of Waterloo. Here's your dose of smart advice. Paxlovid is a pill made up of two medications. One stops the coronavirus from replicating and a second that acts as an immune booster. It can reduce the need for hospitalization by up to 90%. To be effective, it must be taken within the first five days of COVID symptoms and the quicker the better. If you already have severe COVID symptoms, it's too late to take it. The patients who benefit the most from Paxlovid are older and immunocompromised. The medication is by prescription only. In some provinces, pharmacists can prescribe it. Paxlovid must be prescribed carefully since the drug interacts with a lot of other common medications. 
Paxlovid has been shown to be effective against the Delta and earlier variants. Doctors believe it's effective against Omicron and BA2, but we'll know more about that in future studies. Right now, many people who could benefit from Paxlovid are not getting it. That includes people who live in remote and disadvantaged communities. Efforts are underway to streamline access so more people can receive it in time to make a difference. If you have topics you'd like discussed or questions you'd like answered, tweet me at NightShiftMD, at CBC Podcasts, or at CBC White Coat using the hashtag TheDoseCBC. Our email address is thedose at cbc.ca. You can find The Dose wherever you get your podcasts. If you like this episode, please rate us five stars so more people can find us. This edition of The Dose was produced by Stephanie Dubois. Technical support was by Tim Lorimer. Our senior producer is Colleen Ross. The Dose wants you to be better informed about your health. If you're looking for medical advice, see your healthcare provider. I'm Dr. Brian Goldman. Until your next dose. For more CBC podcasts, go to cbc.ca/podcasts.